the podcast Top Books of Literature. It's a place where we discuss, review and share our opinions on some of the greatest books ever written and attempt to figure out the mystery with whatever meager understanding that we have as to why they are as great as they are. I'm your host Arjun and today we are taking a look at my favorite play and I'm sure also the topics of many of our listeners it's waiting for godot written by the prolific samuel beckett it's a story of two tramps on a country road waiting for a certain godot but why are they waiting and will he arrive or worse does he even exist all this and much more in this episode of top books of literature All right. So, Waiting for Godot, an extremely original play in terms of its structure and story, written by one of the greatest playwrights of the 20th century, Samuel Beckett. The play was first published in 1952. It was originally written in French, its title being An Attendant Godot. When the play was first premiered in Paris, it received a series of mixed reactions from audiences and critics alike. Some were amazed, some were puzzled, and few were angry. But many, many were lost, much like the two protagonists in the play. But one thing that they all agreed upon, the common phenomenon was that they had witnessed something like never before. The play gradually became very popular throughout Europe, running for more than 400 performances, proving itself as one of the groundbreaking plays in theater history, and helped establish a new genre in literature, what is now popularly referred to as the theater of the absurd. But what is it? What is it about the play that makes it a popular yet such a timeless play? is it the austere the minimalistic stage setting the wonderful use of language and linguistic devices the lack of any conventional structure or the lack of plot itself the question is tough and the answers are many but we are getting ahead of ourselves here let us first have a brief look at beckett's life and experiences and try to understand what inspired him to write a masterpiece like waiting for godot so beckett's life if you ask me it could be a topic of discussion in itself he didn't live a life like the writers of modern times who write from the safety of their homes writers whose lives are sprinkled with political activism in a manner that permeates more ignorance than knowledge no 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 his was a life full of travel adventure and activism a life so eventful you can make a movie out of it and boy what a movie that would be but for starters on 13th of april 1906 in the southern parts of dublin ireland was born Samuel Barclays Beckett After completing his schooling education he attended 
Trinity College in Dublin, from where he graduated in 1927 with honors in French and Italian. He moved to Paris in 1928 and came in close contact with James Joyce. And this was also a time when he started taking writing seriously, penning down some poems, short stories, and a few critical essays as well. The next few years of his life were spent in Dublin and London, teaching and attending in a mental home respectively. But it was in the year 1934 when Beckett really began to move things. He published his first collection of short stories called More Pricks Than Kicks. The book was banned in Ireland, which marked the beginning of Beckett's separation from his homeland. Now, every once in a while, a person experiences events and incidents that essentially shape and define the course his or her life would take. Undoubtedly, one such incident occurred in Beckett's life on 7th of January 1939, which affected his personal life and presumably his professional life as well. While out on an evening walk, Beckett was accosted and stabbed. He was given first aid by a passing conservator student named Suzanne Deschivoks Dumsnell. Now, many of you might think why is that so important, but it is because it was after 22 years of a live-in relationship with Beckett, Suzanne Deschivoks Dumsnell agreed to marry him in 1962. How's that for a love story? I told you, you could make a movie about his life. You didn't believe me then, you better believe me now. Moving on, a major event that destabilized the world and Europe in particular and had a drastic impact on almost every other writer of the time including Beckett was World War II. Beckett was really disturbed and disgusted by the Nazis treatment of the Jews and when the German army invaded Paris in 1940 he joined a resistance group whose focus was to collect information regarding the enemy troop movement. However, in August 1942, the group was betrayed and out of his 82 members, only 20 survived. Beckett and Suzanne barely escaped as they left only half an hour ago before the Gestapo, the secret Nazi Germany police, came to execute them. He went into semi-hiding in a village in high mountains and stayed there until the German occupation collapsed. Following the World War II is when Beckett's brilliance as a writer really reached its zenith. He wrote a trilogy novel, Malloy, Malone Dies and The Unnameable. It was a time when he had stopped writing in English and had started writing in French, thus further confirming his distance from his homeland. It was during the creation of this trilogy that, in order to relax and take break from writing serious prose, he turned to writing a slightly tragic but mostly comic play. And that's how boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, my favorite play, our favorite play, Waiting for Godot, was born.
the plot of waiting for Godot is a difficult one to describe. It is not so because it is a difficult play to understand, no. It's because you're not even sure if the play offers a plot or not. In fact, waiting for Godot has often been described as a play when nothing happens or to echo the words of Vivian Mercier, it's a play where nothing happens twice. It's a tragic comedy in two acts. Interestingly, when Beckett originally wrote the play in French, he didn't give it any such denotation. It was only when he translated the work into English later that he added the subtitle Tragic Comedy in Two Acts. Hmm. A tragic comedy, as the name suggests, is a blend, a coming together of tragedy and comedy. To quote the 17th century playwright John Fletcher, a tragic comedy is, I quote, is not so called in respect of mirth and killing, but in respect it warns deaths, which is enough to make it no tragedy, yet bring some near it which is enough to make it no comedy." End quote. It is true that the concept of tragic comedy has been present for a long time. One can even trace it back to the works of Shakespeare, where tragedy is often paralleled with some comic characters or vice versa. But the manner in which Beckett and many of his contemporaries have utilized this concept is much more unique, much more realistic. Here, the tragedy and comedy do not operate in different realms, separated, untouched of each other, but they interpenetrate each other, highlighting comedy in tragedy and revealing the tragedy resting beneath the comic overlay. It's the elements of life enacted upon the stage, together in its entirety, not as opposites, but as lifelong companions, the way they should be. Coming back to the plot of Waiting for Godot, it depicts two tramps, Vladimir and Astrogen, stranded on a country road waiting for the arrival of Godot. It's apparent from their conversation that they have been coming to the same spot every day to wait for Godot, but for how long, nobody knows. However, the bigger question is, why are they waiting? They are not even sure what they want from him, yet they wait. One cannot wait in silence though. They make conversations, think about committing suicide, meet the other two characters in the play, Lucky and Pozo, have conversations with them and at the end of it all, a young boy comes and informs them that Godot will not come today but surely tomorrow. The whole process repeats itself in Act 2 with slight differences. But he never comes. Godot never comes. And possibly he'll never come. Vladimir and Astrogen will keep on waiting for him. In a play that offers no certainty of thought and action to hold on to, only one thing is certain. Vladimir and Astrogen are waiting for Godot. Absurd, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is theatre of the absurd.
theater of the absurd is a term that was first coined by the critic Martin Eslin who wrote a book of the same name. Eslin characterized it as, and I quote, a sense of disillusionment and loss of certitude characteristic of our modern age. Really powerful words but we have to understand some context in order to fully grasp the meaning of it. So the 18th and 19th century saw the emergence of modern civilization and many ideals such as progress, nationalism and secularism came to be revered by the public. However, the two world wars greatly affected the lives and all these values that were considered unshakable had been swept away. Thus, secluded from these ideals, man found himself lost in a world that offered nothing but agony and chaos. To borrow Eugene Ionesco's definition of the absurd, cut off from his religious, metaphysical and transcendental roots, man is lost. All his actions become senseless, absurd, useless. One can notice that existentialism was the philosophy that formed the basis of theatre of the absurd. However, the absurdist writers didn't just take the purposelessness of life as it is, but used it in order to reject or disobey some of the institutions that we have used to define and order our lives. To explain the subject broadly, civilization is a way for us to establish some order in our lives by means of some institutions such as time and place. These institutions in turn also add meaning to our lives or at least give us the illusion that life indeed has a meaning. But most importantly, these institutions help us in forming a sense of personal identity. So absurdist writers like Bucket not only portrayed the meaninglessness of life on stage but intensified it by removing all indicators of personal identity such as name, time and place. And one can see that happening in Waiting for Godot as well. For example, the dramatis personae informs us that the two trams are named Vladimir Nastrogen, but they both refer to each other as Didi and Gogo. One may take the liberty to think that they call each other by their nicknames and not their real names, but when Pozo asks Estrogen for his name, he says, Adam. Furthermore, the young messenger boy in the end of each act calls out Mr. Albert and Vladimir responds to him. But this is nothing compared to the way the institution of time has been rejected in the play. Waiting for Godot does away with all the notions of time. We have no idea about the time frame in which the play exists. Also, how long Vladimir and Astrogen have been waiting for Godot? The stage direction tells us that only a day has passed between Act 1 and Act 2 but the evidence proves otherwise. The barren tree in Act 1 has grown a few leaves in Act 2. Lucky went dumb and Pozo went blind. When asked by Vladimir when did all this happen, Pozo angrily replies, One day. Is that not enough for you? One day 
like any other day. As if this wasn't enough, Beckett decides to remove another indicator necessary for the formation of personal identity, the memory. The two trams can't remember where they were yesterday. Astrogen cannot recall who beat him that night or the night before. And all other personal memories that they remember are blurred and uncertain. Anjali Multani sums up this whole problem wonderfully when she commented that one's existence can be affirmed only by one's memory, one's remembrance of things that have happened or been said. Vladimir and Estrogen are denied even this certainty. But a play where nothing can be trusted, no institution can be taken at its face value, only one thing is certain. Vladimir and Astrogen are waiting for Godot, which eventually begs the question, is Godot real? Did man created God to have a reason to live? Thus, Angeli Multani begins her essay by quoting Dostoevsky and goes on to ask a very vital question with respect to the play. Did Vladimir and Astrogen created Godot to have a reason to wait? Hmm. Food for thought. Godot's character invites ambiguity for his absent yet ever present in the play. He is absent because he never appears in flesh and bone on the stage, but his presence is confirmed by the fact that the two protagonists are waiting for him. For those of you who might be wondering if Godot may mean God himself, Beckett has cleared at least this uncertainty by commenting that if he meant God by Godot, he would have written God. While we are at the subject, could it be possible that the real objective here, the purpose, if such a thing can be associated with the play, is not to meet Godot, but to wait for him? In a world that disallows them any sense of purpose or identity, it's the waiting that adds some meaning to their lives. For when you think about it, if anyone asked them about their goal in life, the response would be ready. We are waiting for Godot. It is the waiting that prevents them from committing suicide. Their purposelessness may represent the horrors and hollowness of their lives, but it is the same purposelessness that wills them to continue living by constructing an utterly purposeless task of waiting. When you think about it, it is not existentialism or nihilism that the play promotes, but the sheer inability to be a nihilist in the face of utter hopelessness. And with that, we have reached the end of our podcast. If you like it, do share it with your friends and family. Also, please comment down below what you think about the play or write to me at topbooksofliterature at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to hear from you guys. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Till then, keep reading, keep exploring. Bye-bye.